Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Welcome to a special edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Dominic Fifield from The Athletic, and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. Football is a game of hyperbole. There's talk of triumph and disaster in the same breath. Yet this week, reality struck. For once, talk of an existential crisis is no exaggeration. It's unlikely fans will be allowed to watch football for six months. With no guaranteed income, there's little hope for some clubs. Extinction beckons. We'll look at the problems and potential solutions, but first, let's put everything in context. This could change the game as we know it forever, couldn't it, Dom? COVID has already changed life and normal everyday life, probably forever. It shouldn't be a surprise that its impact on football could be just as far-reaching and devastating, but it has brought everything into focus and really exposed the inequalities of the game. Uh, it's it's demonstrated that even at the, t- the top level, the reality that the majority of clubs still don't make a profit financially and this will just exacerbate all the indifferences um, and and financial issues within the game from top to bottom. It, it'll it'll lead to, as you say, the extinction of a, a a lot of clubs at the lower levels and and creeping into the football league. We were already seeing that with Bury and Macclesfield Town for different reasons, but this will accelerate the process. That is that is the fear. You know, we've all been clinging to this hope that that supporters would start coming back. Even if they had done, it wouldn't have been the same as it was. But it was at least provided a trickle of funds into clubs uh, outside the elite. Now that's been shelved for the foreseeable future. The impact and and the, the sense of sense of panic is is gripping. It's devastating. Yeah, I suppose. When you look at it, Aid, it is a much-needed wake-up call, isn't it, in many ways? I know that sounds a bit heartless, but you've got clubs who 
are gambling with money that they don't possess. Ambition has almost been replaced by greed. This is really almost year zero for the game, isn't it? It, it feels like that, doesn't it? It feels certainly as if the bubble has, has burst. And the consequences are going to be far-reaching, aren't they? Clubs are going to have to cut their support staff massively. Players, I think I think the inevitable outcome here is that players are going to have to accept that that the wages are going to be nowhere near as lucrative moving forward. How, how can they be sustained at their current level with no fans being allowed in? That's a, that's a big, big change. TV companies. I mean, the reliance on TV money is has been laid bare and obviously we saw the Premier League cut ties with one supplier in China. I know they've replaced it with another, but you do wonder moving forwards with no crowds, will, will TV companies lose a bit of interest? The product will certainly seem less valuable. This whole crisis is going to trigger one problem after another for football clubs and for players who are going to find themselves out of work because I, I think that the only one of the only solutions is for is for players to be made redundant and there is there is a fear clearly that not just players losing their jobs that clubs will fold i think that the 92 as we've we've been proud of this 92 for so so long it, it could be it could be the the 68 it could be the the 80 i don't know what it's going to end up with but i i fear it won't be 92 yeah, let's look at some of the problems in a bit more detail. Dom, it seems that there is a rift between the elitist elements of the Premier League, i.e. you know, top six, top eight, and the government. Do you understand why politicians use levels of Premier League transfer spending to basically say, well, you don't actually need a support package? Can't the Premier League afford the £200 million it would cost to bail out the EFL? The Premier League can afford it, just about. I mean, and and, and yes, I, I, I agree that it's it's the optics, and I hate that term, but that, that is the reality. The optics are not good when you, you have certain Premier League clubs spending an awful lot of money, and, and, and those clubs will argue that they can spend that money. Um, I mean, the, the prime example being Chelsea. I'm sure we'll touch upon that later when we get onto the actual football. Um, but there are reasons that Chelsea can spend the money that they have done in this transfer window. But but the politicians are, are simplifying everything for their sound bites. Uh, on the one hand, they were told that Boris Johnson believes everything's going to be okay as long as there's Premier League football. Well. The Premier League will suffer in its own way, like all of football will suffer. Not all those Premier League clubs, as I said before, make a profit. Their wage bills are huge. They're utterly reliant upon broadcasting rights. And they have to be at that level to be competitive in that division, because if they, if they don't spend that money, then they risk falling out of the division and losing those broadcast rights. So that, that's a bit of a vicious circle in its own way. But when it, when it actually comes to whether they can afford to bail out the EFL. Yes, it does look as if they can put the £250 million that's, that's been suggested to one side and, and that, that will go to the EFL. But and almost understandably, I think there's a sense within the Premier League that it wants to know that this money is is being used, say, to cover the lack of gate receipts. So 
you know what a club earned through gate receipts in its last full season. So that would be in 2018-19. And that's what you're compensating now. The Premier League doesn't want to start going in and bailing out clubs that are being mismanaged in the Football League that have overspent and for, for completely different reasons find themselves in, in the Stuck. It's... It, they're specifically saying that we will do this and we'll do it reluctantly, but this is the what the situation demands. We will go in there and we will we will bail out on on those gate receipts that you're missing out on. And I think there's a sense to that and a logic to that to that approach. Yeah, you see, I'm 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 hearing you know, from from managers within the lower leagues that there are still clubs in League Two paying four and a half thousand pounds a week to players, which is you know just the economics of the madhouse. So why shouldn't a cash-rich game look after its own? Because if you look at EFL clubs' aid, and you know you play for a few, do they deserve support? Because they're more likely to be community assets than sort of corporate cash cows. Well, well, they are community assets. Football clubs, especially in the lower leagues, mean so much to communities, which is why I do feel that the the government should step in and help and help put together some kind of rescue package for, for the EFL clubs. I'm not, I don't necessarily feel the government should support Premier League clubs. I think they can look after themselves. They can, they can take the hits and still be able to chip in and, and help the EFL clubs as well, in, in my opinion. This isn't about bailing out clubs that are being mismanaged. Uh, or The EFL clubs would never have, have been able to start this season if they'd have known that there would be no income for six to nine months. They just wouldn't have been able to start. They couldn't agree to start because, I mean, that's why they called off last season because they, they, they had no income coming in. They thought, right, we can get through the first couple of months this time around and then the paying customers come back and that's why we're, we're kicking things off. The reality is they, they, they won't be able to continue without a rescue package. Personally, I hope it's it's partly from, from the Premier League, which I think would be good PR on the on their part. And, and it certainly would be bad PR if they were to stand aside and, and partly from the government who should regard these clubs as, as community assets. You know, they mean so much to people in the community. And, and most small clubs now are hubs of the community in terms of they, they open their stadium up for facilities for the community. And, and do we want all of those things to fall by the wayside as well? So so I hope, look, I hope everyone comes together and, and finds a way to get the EFL clubs out of this hole. Forget mismanagement and all that nonsense. This is just surviving on zero income and, and that's impossible. We, we should also remember that when we talk about EFL, we're actually also talking about the National League and, that, and the three divisions of the National League who, who who became elite status so that they could play their playoffs to, to sort out their divisions. Um, and because they've got that, that elite That could status, be the worst thing they ever Absolutely. Did, and I think they acknowledge that now. I think a lot of them are looking at it and thinking, well... Because we've got that elite status, actually, the, the, the tiers below us can can welcome supporters back and have some in the fa- some fans in the ground and, and generate some kind of gate receipt, and 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 we can't. You know, you look at the likes of Bromley or Sutton who have got four G pitches that, as I says, that are hubs for those communities for that, that are used by youth teams for those clubs, but also local clubs that come in there and play and senior football or whatever. Um, and they can't do any of that now. All of those revenue streams have been completely cut off. They they don't have an eye follow option. These these national league clubs either. They are actually in a almost in a worse position than the EFL. 
Um, so I think they have to be bracketed in the same thing. And, and the money that does come down from the Premier League will probably have to be distributed to them as well. But but those that at that level, that is where there will be a reliance upon a government handout. So whether it's a a loan or or you know they're, they're giving them grants or whatever, but they they will be utterly reliant upon that, and and that money should go to that level rather than Premier League, certainly. Yeah, well, cer- certainly as we speak, there's um, you know a fundamental, a pivotal meeting of the National League clubs to work out what they're going to do. Um, obviously, that news will evolve during the day. And I suppose there is some hope, isn't there, Aid? Um, you know, we hear from you know Rick Parry, whose experience I think will be uh, vital in this, and I think he's he's been saying some really good things about you know the, the fact that parachute payments are destabilising the system. The EFL is expecting to receive some funding, uh, as as Dom intimated there, probably on in loans. That won't be enough to keep them afloat for the season, will it? It will just be a, a, a sticking plaster. Yeah, but it, it's better than nothing, and and I think what we then have to see. I mean, it all went very quiet in regards to player salary cuts, didn't it? I know that we've got a salary cap now in place in League One and and League Two at pretty lowish levels. I'd suggest. I think that was that that was very sensible, but will they need to take it even even further and and just say, look, we we won't be able to afford to play on you won't have a job unless we unless we trim your wages to, to, to this amount um i mean th- there you run the risk of course of, of unscrupulous owners potentially you know ripping players off and that and that's that that's a problem moving forward so it will certainly help won't it but but i do imagine that players will have to take a hit and what's going on by the way with, with, in terms of the championship and their proposed um salary cap they did. They didn't make an agreement at the time of League One and League Two, and as far as I'm aware, that's still ongoing. Surely it's time now for the Championship to get their house in order to just just to be able to survive and to to complete this season. Yeah, well, if you look at the Championship, Dom, I think it's collective losses of five hundred million pounds even before the crisis. So you can say, can't you, that they've only got themselves to blame? Again, gambling. In, in pursuit of what for most of them, by definition, is going to be an impossible dream, i.e. Premier League and um, consequential TV money. Yeah, but half the championship clubs have, have been in the Premier League and are going the other way. Look at the clubs that finished near the foot last season. Virtually all of them had either either just up from the from League One or had come down recently from the, the Premier League. It's it's a it's a it's a real strange blend the the championship it always will be and it and as the yeah as a stepping stone into the premier league i suppose it is the temptation will always be greatest there to to gamble financially i mean it's also it's also the division that that owners who are willing to take such a gamble will target um you know those that want to make a quick buck get 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 promoted into the premier league and, and suddenly benefit from the from the broadcasting rights, it's that 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 won't change. I I can't see how a salary cap will ever work in the championship because there's such. I mean, look at you've got budgets of Luton coming up from one from League One, competing with Stoke City, who've been in the Premier League for ten years. I know, and I know, and I feel it's the same in League One. In League One, you've got Sunderland having to work to the same salary cap as Accrington Stanley, which is just ludicrous, really. And there's a better way of doing it based on based on your income and accounts, but then you need you need proper audit in there to, to make sure we've got the right figures for each club. So and that's another thing that needs needs sorting out, of course, by the EFL. 
but to be specific there, Aid, let's take that example, right? You've got Sunderland who've been profligate, and I'm being really charitable when I say that, and you've got someone like Accrington Stanley who, who operate within their means on a budget of around about 1.6, 1.8 million pounds a year, which basically, you know, doesn't pay for the prawn sandwiches at the Stadium of Light in the boardroom. There has to be an acceptance that you can't do what the likes of Sunderland have done. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, agree, I absolutely agree with that. And there has to be tighter restrictions in place. The EFL needs to get on top of it and not allow clubs to, to run up crazy debts and waste so much money. They need to, there needs to be a different system in place. But, but you know, Sal, it feels like anti-competition to sort of level things out. You know, big, big companies, big clubs that they're always more likely to succeed than, than smaller firms. I don't think you should be holding back clubs that can afford to pay more, that can afford to pay, pay more and still, you know, run at a profit or at least even money you know, just to level up the playing field. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but right now in the here and now, I don't see any way out other than to really curb player wages across the EFL and, and that includes the championship even though I definitely agree with Dom it's a very hard thing to police and, and to put into place. The weird thing about the the salary cap thing it, uh, there is a there's a logic to it definitely but but a logic to it this season when <laughs> when you've got on a few, purely footballing level you've got the schedule squeezed and more games you know games every three days and and the natural inclination for a lot of League One and League Two clubs, as soon as the salary cap came in, was to slim down their squads. So, you know, a 23-man squad that they had last season suddenly becomes a 19-man squad with a few youth team players thrown in. And that's a, that's a that's a squad that's got to compete with 46 league games, EFL Cup, League Cup, FA Cup, within a season that's five weeks shorter. I mean, well, Yeah, but then there's no paying customers this season. So what I've just said about about Sunderland and, and their and their income or their capacity to earn, that actually has been taken away. So so in essence, I think for this year, it kind of works because it's not really penalising your Sunderlands as much as it would do ordinarily. It just gets everyone's house in order. But I think once fans come back in, the salary cap has as has been agreed for this season. I, I just don't think it's fair, really. Football is finally realising how much it needs fans, doesn't it? Both spiritually and financially. Do you think they didn't know that before? I mean, anyone's attended a game. I think that... I think the fans were taken for granted before, Dom. Oh, possibly, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's yeah, that's that's a fair point. Yeah, it's definitely taken for granted. But I mean, God, anyone who's actually experienced a game behind closed doors. You'd have played in a few ages, you know, but I mean, it's, mm. they're soulless, soulless occasions. They're yeah. Awful. No, football's not the same without the supporters. It, yeah, soulless is, is the word. The spectacle isn't the same. I just wonder what's going to happen when fans can come back in. Now, I expect the iFollow system to maybe be taken up. I don't know if they can find a way with the Premier League matches that aren't on TV for, for fans to, to pay to watch individual matches. That's something to consider. Um, but when they can come through the gate again, are clubs going to respect the fans? And and is it, is twenties plenty still going to be in place, or are they suddenly going to hit the fans in 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 the pocket with higher prices to recoup all that money that's that's been lost? It'd be interesting to 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 know what happens when when that comes around. I, I just hope that the fans that are missing out on so much right now aren't then expected to pay through the nose 
when they are allowed back through those turnstiles. So, yeah, watch this space on that one. That would be absolute madness if they did that. Absolute madness. Uh, can I just take you, uh, you know, to your union um, aid, the PFA? Um, yeah, occasional reminders that Gordon Taylor's still picking up an exorbitant sum uh, as their chief exec. Um, is it time for them to do more? to help the common good, maybe sell some of their assets. You know, they've got enough Lowry's to go around, haven't they? You know, maybe even do something practical like fun COVID testing for lower league teams. Well, that's the, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, the PFA needs to pay for player testing. I couldn't believe actually when I found, I only found out this week that the EFL no longer had mandatory COVID tests. I thought that was crazy. Uh, I really did. And obviously we've seen Spurs pay for Orient's testing and, and whatnot. Well, it's going to be carnage because so many players are going to pick up this virus. The PFA has always made a big thing of saying it's there to protect its players, its members. Now, what better way to protect its members than to to pay for pay for these tests? I mean, without without anyone paying for them, the players and their families are, put, are at risk, aren't they? They're putting themselves at risk. There'll be a number of players, I'm sure, that have family members that are in a vulnerable category. Will players suddenly start to say, no, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play unless I'm tested for it because I don't want to catch it off an opponent. I I do think think that this is one thing the PFA have to do. They have to pay for the player tests. I also typed in the word COVID on the PFA website last night. I was just interested to see what popped up. Not a lot is the answer. (laughs) <laughs> two updates, two updates in total, two statements from the PFA on the COVID-19 crisis. The last one, 2nd of April. It's a joke. It's ridiculous. They need to step up and um, and do what, the, what they are there to do. This is an organisation that has cash reserves of, what, 50, 55 million pounds. The least they can do is pay for the COVID testing outside the Premier League. Uh, the reality is a lot of those lower league clubs cannot afford it. £150 a pop here. I was, I was talking to Simon Weaver at Harrogate Town a few weeks ago who was, who was trying to bolster his squad and he was taking people on trial um, at Harrogate Town just, just, to, just to have a look at them in, in the flesh, as he would do in any normal circumstance. But he couldn't afford to get to pay for the tests that each of these trialists would have to, to take. So he is actually asking the trialists to fork out £100 of their 150 quid um, to pay for the tests effectively themselves. And a few of them refused because it wasn't, they, they, they didn't feel as if it was a risk they wanted to take, as in we might not get this a, a contract at this club, so I've just forked out £100 for nothing. The ones that did, admittedly, probably made an impression on Simon Weaver because he, he could see that they, they were committed and desperately wanted to impress and have an opportunity. But that really, that's a reflection of it. £150. I think Grimsby Town has said that the, the pre-season testing cost them something like 20 grand, which is ridiculous. They can't they can't be doing this. So the, the PFA has to, has to step in and help on that front. Yeah, and if you look at it, some of the smaller clubs are almost penalised for their honesty. Let's take Lake Norrin as an example in the week. Spurs paid for their COVID testing, and as a result, they found that there was a problem at the club. But as a result, you know, they're probably out of the League Cup. They've lost, I think it was £125,000 TV money, whereas Hull were quite happy to play at West Ham, even though 
David Moyes and two of his players withdrew an hour before kickoff because of being testing positive. That's that's got to be addressed as well, surely, hasn't it, Aid? Yeah, of course. I mean, it feels incredibly harsh on on Leighton Orient that they were, you know, willing to 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 take the test, which is the right thing to do, and it didn't work out in their favour. And I don't think they should be should be punished for it. Absolutely, I don't. So no, that that needs to be addressed. But let, someone has to. I just wondered when I first read this whether it was a play from the EFL or the EFL clubs, like a cry for help to say, look, we can't afford to pay for these tests. We're just going to take, have to take the take the risks, uh, and obviously that there would be outcry, you know, hearing that, and that someone would step in and and pay for it. If, if that's not enough for the PFA to to step in and act, I don't, I don't know what what their money's for. I mean, they they spend an awful lot of time and uh, money on on sort of promoting partners and you know selling selling various products to rich rich footballers. You know, that seems to be a big part of their their thing these days um how about you know helping <laughs> helping the players and their families here stay safe where's that where's that message it's spot on like because although the, the medical research into covid is ongoing i mean we're obviously finding out more and more about the virus all the time the, the, there are fears that even for for elite athletes to be playing even after immediately having had the the virus you know when they when, when they're no longer displaying symptoms it could be dangerous for them physically dangerous for them well footballers have health conditions as well by the way they, they have underlying health conditions I think I spoke to a Port Vale player early on leg last season I think he suffers with epilepsy and, and at the time it was on lockdown and he controls that clearly to be able to continue with his career with various medication but he he was at pains to say look I'm I'm extra vulnerable to COVID. This is a real concern for me. Now, now Port Vale are not testing and their opponents are not testing. He could easily catch it in a game, you'd imagine, and, and, and therefore put himself in real danger. And, and, and for the PFA just to sit there and continue to send out their brochures to, to players selling, you know, villas in Portugal or whatnot, and, and to sit there and to, to not act and to, to cough up the money for these tests, which are for their members' benefit, I think is a disgrace. They have to do it. What about the FA, Dom? You know, their cuts will devastate grassroots football. The coach education programmes, you know, the, the heralded England DNA, they're similarly affected. Are they fit to govern? They may not be able to because, of the, because they're suffering like everybody else is suffering. I mean, they probably need to tap into the the government's handouts as well to be honest i mean it's i i don't i i i get angry when i hear about the the you know the the pfa not helping their members i i i i actually look a bit on the fa and think they're fairly powerless in this they're they're yeah, they, they they could have made better decisions in the past, but nobody nobody on this planet knew that what was going to happen in the, since March. I mean, nobody we, nobody could have seen this coming, really. Um, but should should they have sold Wembley for six hundred million when they had the chance? Well, it's all very good, very well saying that in hindsight, but there was outcry. There was absolute we and, and the media were part of that. I was part of that. You're selling English football heritage. You're selling the place that we won the World Cup. Um, why would we want to sell it to? An American businessman. Um, I mean, it was that—that that was the 
that was pretty much the tone at the time. I must admit, I was on the other side of that argument. I don't, I don't, when I look at modern Wembley, I don't see heritage. I just no, see, no, no, I know, you know, a mausoleum. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, but it's, it was the idea and then it was the name and the romance associated with Wembley as opposed to what it actually is. Look, it's, there are, there, all this is unforeseen. All, COVID has changed the landscape as we started off the, uh, started off the show with. It's changed life. And the FA are uh, struggling in, in its own way to cope with the implications of it. I agree with Dom on that. I, I think it's a bit harsh. Yet they're having to make cuts. that They don't want to make these cuts. And they have a responsibility, don't they, to, to everything associated with football, you know, down to the grassroots and facilities and whatnot. They can only work with the funds that they've got and, and they need help as much as, as much as these clubs do, really. So hopefully they will be a part of any government-led rescue package the FA. I don't think there's much they can do. There's a big difference here between the FA's actions, like you say, a bit powerless, and the PFA's actions. They do have the power to intervene here and they have the financial clout. And the obligation. Yeah, yeah I think so. I think most people would say the obligation. And I'll tell you what, there's real danger here, the, the, the PFA, of alienating the people, that alienating their members and to just make them think, what, what, why are we in this union? If they're not going to act on our behalf here what's what's the point in being a member i i can see it breaking up i can see there being a new union formed in in time i really can because people won't forget this what about we are looking right across the spectrum here dom um the euro 2021 finals are they unsustainable in in the current form at least you know the multinational form (laughs) well personally yeah i i think so but uh, you know, you, there are so many vested interests in this, and every every organisation and and uh, footballing body is fighting tooth and nail to to keep what they want, their own little little area of expertise. And UEFA will fight um, to to keep that tournament in its current format. It certainly doesn't lend itself to a pandemic landscape does it let's be honest <laughs> i've got an idea let's play it in new zealand they're not stupid in new zealand they won't be inviting the teams from around the world <laughs> they're shrewd over there but look, uefa is another another issue i mean we're hearing noises more and more noises i suspect um, will, will come out about super leagues and 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 the elite clubs um playing in certain windows, playing all their knockout competitions in, in windows, similar to the Champions League we just witnessed um, in, in Portugal and, and the Europa League in Germany. I, I suspect those rumblings will, will not go away and, and Infantino will come up with crazy schemes to, to try and safeguard and protect and ring fence off the uh, the UEFA competitions. And, and that will provoke its own problems because, because elite Premier League clubs, and we're talking those top five, six... Who are whose stadiums are, are, are the biggest in the country, and who are not getting any gates money in at all, and it will be affecting their commercial revenues and and, and streams, etc. They may well look at that and think, well, why are we getting burdened with with the rest of the Premier League, let alone the whole of the EFL and the National League? Why don't we go off and and compete in a in a, a European Super League? If it's a set time in the in the summer, for example, I mean that's got to be a risk. Yeah, I can see the sort of same dynamics that created the Premier League actually in operation now, where it's self-interest, elitism, promise of more money tomorrow. If that's the case at the the highest level, aid, what about 
the pyramid. Is it time to reorganise it for the first time in, what, 60 years? I don't know. I mean, in what sense would we need to Well, if you look at it, if you look at it, you know, the, the, the cliched image, and it's, it's almost like a, a, a feature writer's rite of passage that you have to go from Carlisle to Plymouth on a wet Tuesday with the team or whatever. So, you know, geographical re, um, reorganisation, maybe even part-time clubs being in operation in the you know the what was formerly a professional pyramid well, well i can see that i can i mean it's gone the other way hasn't it in recent years you, you you know i played in the national league when it was unusual to be full time now it's unusual to be part time in in the national league even clubs in the north and south are sometimes full time i do feel that 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 might have to stop and that we go the other way and yeah and it might be the case that professional footballers operating in league 2 don't see it in League One, but League Two and below will have to be part time and get jobs, and, and and train in the evenings and 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 play for for low wages. That might be the the outcome here. But but for me, the pyramid is really important. It's a it's a a great institution of English football. It's it gives that that aspiration, that dream. So many clubs in the EFL right now have climbed through that pyramid, haven't they? And 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 fulfilled their their dreams, and uh, I, I would hate to see that that go. But yeah, it, it's if we need to strip back and go part time, yes. Although I, I did speak to, I think it was Nick, Nicola, no, Mark Palios at Tranmere, who just got relegated to League Two, and we I asked him about regionalisation, and they really didn't want it. They they, they liked the idea of, of playing in a national league rather than than localised, and they didn't think that it would save that much money, really, in the grand scheme of things. They thought the, the, the cost saving would be minimal. So personally, I, I would like to keep four national divisions or five. Mm. What about community or fan-run clubs, Dom? Well, it's uh, another challenge for them, uh, but they're used to challenges, aren't they, in this in the uh, the modern footballing environment? I always loved the principle of them. I did a lot of stuff with Portsmouth when they sort of emerged from that crazy period where they had about 17 owners in three years. Most of them didn't exist. Um, and and what they achieved at, at Pompey stabilising that club was remarkable and utterly admirable, really, to be honest. Wrexham have done the same in National League and now they're going to be taken over by Hollywood film stars by the look of things. <laughs> so it's it's it, it embeds clubs within communities. It's just, it's it's it should be the ideal situation, but realistically in a in a world where you know there is ambition still and 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 in normal circumstances you you are competing against clubs that will push the boat out financially reality bites doesn't it and and there's probably a a bit of a ceiling for a lot of those community clubs but but a lot of them are born out of crisis that's that that is the point and that they and 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 what they achieve what they achieve to stabilize and reinvigorate and 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 strengthen the bond between club and supporter is invaluable yeah and i think a lot of owners a lot of um owners that were in it for the money or the potential uh windfalls might 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 run off into the sunset given given the given the the perilous nature of finances. So yeah, there's I think there'll be loads of opportunities for fans of clubs to now take a, a real a real um, share in in their clubs and and yeah, it's probably no bad thing. Why don't we talk about football? Is that, is that a good idea, Josh? <laughs> um, yeah, um, Dom. Um, 
I suppose we'll have to um, look at the extraordinary circumstances around West Ham. Uh, they play Wolves on Sunday. Do you think West Ham will be disrupted by the loss of David Moyes? Yeah, I don't see how they couldn't be. I mean, video calls are great, as we're experiencing now, but... They're not the same, Mike. I, mean, I miss seeing you next to us on the couch in, in BT uh, Town. I love you. I love you too, <laughs> Look, it's... it's yeah, look, it, it will make a, a massive difference. Um, but there's a lot of difficulty and a lot of infighting, potentially, at, at West Ham at the moment. It's a, it feels like a club a bit on the brink um, for... It's quite nice to be talking about a club being on the on the brink for, for matters on the pitch as opposed to off it. But but they are they desperately in need of new signings and reinvigoration. That but they're saddled by a, a wage bill and a, and a and a bloated squad full of underperforming players that haven't come off. And I think that the owners even admitted that when he went on the radio this week, David Sullivan. Um, I feel sorry for David Moyes because I think he's a great manager, a, a really good manager who would who would stabilise West Ham no problem at all take them easily into into mid-table but probably only if he has his own players in there and, and isn't sort of saddled with with personnel from previous regimes and there's just there's just too much deadwood there it's just there's just too many players on huge salaries that they just won't be able to shift and that's why they have to let you know a, a, a promising young winger in Diangara leave because he's the only player that's attracting any interest from the outside to so that they can generate some funds to to seek to strengthen it's it's a precarious situation and and the reality is they okay they performed better against Arsenal in their second premier league game but they've lost their first two matches i think they can i think they in the seven fixtures they start this season in the corresponding games last year they they lost them all and while that isn't terminal we've seen clubs come back from seven defeats and seven scoreless defeats and and finish in mid-table. It does feel as if something needs to change at West Ham. We've been saying it for a while. There's so much antipathy towards our ownership now. Um, but I just don't know where it goes. I don't see how don't see how they attract buyers. I don't see how they, they, they generate funds to, to spend. It's a really, really difficult situation for them. Yeah. Mention of Arsenal there. Uh, you must be quite happy with the way things are going there. A Carabao Cup win last night. Um They've got Liverpool on Monday, which is obviously an acid test. Are they ready for that type of test? Well, yeah, they're, ready, they're more ready for it than they have been in previous seasons. No, no doubt about that. I think, yeah, Mikel Arteta is doing a great job. The, the, the tactical structure of the team is is light years away from what it was. And, yeah, for that reason, they've got they've got a chance at Liverpool. I still think it's a, it's a big ask. Obviously, they've, they've got this big game formula at Wembley where they beat City, they beat Chelsea, they're playing on the counter. But I think Anfield away is is, is tougher. And, and anyone that saw the, the game where Arsenal beat them actually behind closed doors at Emirates Stadium 2-1, it was a real steal earlier on this summer. So, so look, there's, there's still a big gap between the two sides. Arsenal are shrinking it. They've definitely got potential to have a, have a much, much better season. But Liverpool away is, is as hard as it gets. So, look, if they can if they can get a draw out of that, everyone at the club will be delighted. But, yeah, I'm, I'm chuffed with, with the way it's going. Arteta's got a nice groove. All the players are on board. Uh, well, <laughs> all the players that are in his match day squad are on board with him, and, uh, and and yeah, I can see them moving onwards and upwards. Yeah, what about Chelsea, Dom? Um, I think it's probably taken as read that Frank Lampard needs a win at West Brom at the weekend. Are we seeing now the first 
movement out of the club. You know, there's some talk, isn't there, that Callan hudson Adoy might be out on the way out, Antonio Rudiger also. Um, how do you see the way things are at, at, at the bridge at the moment? Well, I think it's a juggling act. Again, it's a lot of it depends upon um, interest from elsewhere and where, where that interest surfaces and the, in which players. Uh, I wouldn't have put Antonio Rudiger and Callum Hudson-Odoi particularly high on the list of potential outgoings at Chelsea at the start of the summer. But the reality is no one's come in for the, the Ross Barclays or the Emersons as yet. Similarly, I think Chelsea would love to be recouping some fees for these players. And all they're actually doing is is sending them out on loan um, by the look of things. I mean, prime example being Michi Batshuayi, who, who had a year left on his contract and they would love to have sold. They ended up giving him another year. So they've just postponed that problem for a year because the only interest that was shown in him was a, was a loan move. Um, it's 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 a balancing act for for Marina Granovskaya at, at Chelsea. I think their business has been hugely ambitious. Obviously, spent an awful lot of money. Edward Mondi's just been confirmed as a as a Chelsea player. He feels a bit like a, a stopgap signing, um, you know, until someone like an Oblak comes becomes available potentially in the future. But it's a, it's a pragmatic approach. I mean, these guys are all going to need time to settle. I suppose it's it's easier for Frank Lampard to allow the likes of Havertz to to settle in the team if he's got guys like Barkley around the place, Callum Hudson Odoi potentially, who can just drop in and drop out of the team. So we'll see what happens and what interest surfaces in the next couple of weeks. It's they, they do need to balance some books. I mean, they do need to, to get a few off the wage bill. It's a problem in general, though, Dom, isn't it? That you're not seeing many Premier League clubs recouping money no, right, in, in sales. It's, and I think that's why Arsenal felt compelled to to sell Emmy Martinez, even though he really didn't want to lose a keeper of his quality. It was just like we need some cash in. Just because of the climate, it's hard to get the the fees that that you would ordinarily expect to receive from these players. I I think by the end of the window, there's going to be a whole bunch of loans or cut price transfers, real cut price transfers, just to get players away in in the past you you know if you had a player that was earning quite well on your books he was say 27 28 29 years of age you're almost guaranteed that West Ham or Palace would come in and sign him (laughs) (laughs) and now that's just not the case I mean Palace have gone in a different direction and West Ham haven't got the money so it sort of reflects I think I think those I was flippant remark but the the reality is it's those ages actually it's the it's the 28 year olds who have who are benefiting from an excellent previous contract by 80 grand a week and suddenly there isn't a market for them and and they're being overtaken at their own clubs by younger talents yeah well you mentioned palace they're they're playing everton on saturday and without you know really being uncharitable they are both probably the surprise sides of the season so far palace dom it's obvious that roy hodgson's coaching is still exemplary um i just want you to dwell a bit on on will sahar He's getting freedom within that system. Um, I was surprised. I'm surprised he's still there. I thought he would actually leave. Uh, were you? I did. Again, the particular financial climate probably worked in Palace's favour on that. I don't think anybody was going to come forward and offer £60 million plus for a player who turns 28 next month. Um, he is better when he's liberated, when he's 
when he's playing as a stri- central striker. Last season, you could argue, was a bit of a wasted year because he spent most of it out wide um, and he, he didn't enjoy the best of seasons. But it was a it was a case of, of just trying to get something out of a very, very, very um, short squad, um, which Roy Hodgson did quite admirably in the end, I think, to be honest. I think he's still desperate for interest to materialise in in him in what remains of the window. He's got various different um, agents and representatives out there desperately trying to find him a a club um, who will be able to to offer him European football or at least the promise of European football soon. Um, But I would be surprised. I don't think Palace are anticipating losing in this window. Mm, What about Everton at Aid? And specifically uh, Jordan Pickford? Two howlers um, last night in the League Club at Fleetwood. Are the questions which are mounting up about him justified both at club and international level? Personally, I think so, yeah. I think his, his place has to be considered to be under under threat with England. I, I mean, I was surprised he played both games recently. Um, his form has not been brilliant at club level for a while. There were whispers that, that Ancelotti was considering a new goalkeeper last season when he was making mistakes and, and what happened at Fleetwood definitely won't won't help his cause moving forward. So yeah, I look Ancelotti is a nice guy. Players love him, but he's also really successful and, and a natural born winner. If he thinks he's a weak link, he'll get a new goalkeeper and he'll get a new goalkeeper by the end of this window, potentially. Um you see what he's done with the midfield. It was a very mediocre midfield last season, granted that he inherited. And and boy, has he taken a sort of sword to it and he, he's just he's just started again. And you can see that the upgrades he's brought in have made a tremendous difference. Alain, De Cure, James, Rodriguez, they, they, they've transformed the team. And all of a sudden there's a platform now for, for Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison to, to go and score even more goals. The issue is still at the back. I think they're, they're a little bit cumbersome at centre-half especially when there's no Holgate. And uh, and I don't think they have a keeper that's one of the best in the league. I mean, you, compare Jordan Pickford to the rest of the Premier League keepers. Where, where would he be in the pecking order, I wonder? Where, where would you place him? I mean, he'd be nowhere near the top five. I, I think he would be closer to the bottom five than the top five, in, in my opinion, of, of Premier League keepers. I, I don't know where you, where you would see it. Is that, am I being unfair? I think he'd be under Nick Pope. Absolutely. It'd be under Dean Henderson. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it is interesting that Everton are definitely having a go in the market. What about Spurs, Don? We are accustomed to Daniel Levy being the master of the last-minute deal. Is he at it again? Well, the, the priority for them remains a second striker, doesn't it? I mean, it's somebody that will that will either come in and, and be happy to be a, a good backup to to Harry Kane or or someone that they can well someone that, that feels that he can he can almost usurp him and get him get into the team either instead of him or alongside him which might be pushing it in, in what remains of this window but uh, yeah I, I can see Spurs coming into the market to 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 scratch that itch before the before the deadline definitely I mean I'd be surprised if they didn't I don't think Mourinho would be entirely happy if 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 the squad that he's got now, including a sort of slightly disgruntled Deli Ali and a and a not yet fit Gareth Bale, 
if that was his final squad, I think he'd be a bit frustrated. I think I think he needs a, an, another forward, and and I know that. I mean, they're, look, they're making inquiries. I mean, they 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 their inquiries extend to the likes of Alexander Serloth for a while, which is pretty remarkable. But that, that that sort of sums up where they're at and the type of player they're looking at. And I'd be very surprised that they didn't add uh, one more forward to, to their ranks before before the deadline passes. Well, they've certainly been linked with. Uh... Milik, haven't they? There's a striker and also as a centre half, um, Inter's Skriniar. So I suppose, you know, what we're doing again is talking about big clubs spending millions and millions of pounds while other clubs are essentially struggling for their lives. Given everything that we've discussed about the extent of the crisis, I'd just like to end, chaps, by us talking about the one aspect of the game that is really worth saving. Aid, you've got the floor first. <laughs> Twofold, really. I've touched on it already. Save the, saving English football's pyramid, I think, is really, really important. I think it's something to be proud of. And, and I think that even if we do have to strip things back and make things part-time, just to keep these clubs afloat is, is hugely important, or at least the vast majority of them. But but in this in the short term, I just want to say that I hope that the notion of fans coming back into stadiums is is saved and that it's not lost and that the government don't stick steadfastly to this idea that it has to be six months, no fans. We have to that that that, that is dead. We're not gonna have these pilots. I just I still think it's worth reconsidering. I know that the infection rate is going higher and higher. But this is outside in big stadiums where you can socially distance, and and you and you are we are allowed to socially distance outside, aren't we? Um, and it's it's so much more possible. So I would just hope that the 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 notion of bringing fans back in the coming months is kept on the table and saved because it's going to be vital. It really is, and it and in the long run, it will save the government an awful lot of money if fans can can get back into the grounds safely of course and I do trust that that the right things will be put in place as they were last weekend across the EFL to bring back limited number of fans and and, and make sure that they're safe yeah I think it's a common hope isn't it um what about you Dom well I stole my thunder a bit to be honest I, I couldn't agree with him more I thought I thought the pyramid issue is is key for me it's what sets English football apart I mean I've lived in France and I've been to French football games and spoken to people there and they they still can't get their head around the fact that we we have so many professional clubs um and and even since since I did that and I, I was as a student we've you know given the national league is now professional as well pretty much we've actually got more than 92 haven't we I mean it's 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 an institution it's something that sets makes this club this country different uh, in terms of its football heritage um and I'm desperate desperate to retain that in 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 future and 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 anyway we, we you you mentioned very very early on in this show uh as a criticism that this is just a sticking plaster on a big problem to be honest i'd take the sticking plaster now i just want to get through the next however long it takes to until until some kind of normality returns and i think a lot of people out there are the same they they just they just want to get through this period and then 
we've got to make sure that when that happens, when once we come through the other side, that we still have some of those institutions, that that institution is still there, that we can still benefit from from it. And, and the 92 or the pyramid, whatever, how you want to put it, that is key to English football's future. Mm, there's a bit of a theme emerging here. It's all too easy in the ivory towers of the Premier League to suggest that small clubs don't really matter. You know what I mean. Small earthquake in Macclesfield or Bury, very few people hurt. Those clubs do matter. They've died from neglect and willful mismanagement. Fans have been disenfranchised. Their lives lack the focus football provides. Communities suffer. The social fabric unravels. There's some hope, but I fear more clubs will discover this winter that they can't live off the power of dreams. What I'd like is for football to rediscover its humanity. We're all in this together. If you agree, please let me know. In the meantime, thanks to Dom and Adrian for their insight and opinion. And as ever, thanks to you for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications including botulinum toxins as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.